Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Steve Jonasy with Steve Jonasy Fishing. And we're going to primarily talk everything, I guess, Brad. We're going to talk all around the horn. Iowa, Minnesota, a little bit of Wisconsin, muskie changes. We kind of got a whole host of topics we're going to talk about this week. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny how this all develops. You know, we kind of go into this whole thing with a little game plan and the questions just kind of start to flow as, as the person's actually talking. Yep, absolutely. Sometimes we have a very good game plan. Other times we have a very bad game plan. This week it was uh, we had a game plan, and then it kind of goes all over the place. But it, it works. Hopefully everybody uh, gets some you know information out of it. We're trying to do the best we can. And it's a lot easier to do this podcast when guys are fresh out on the water. They're out fishing, fresh ideas. Like they, like the season's kind of developing. It's just a, it's a whole different dynamic that way. Yeah, I would agree with that completely, Jeff. It's a lot easier to talk muskies when you're participating in, in fishing for them, you know? The off season, I mean, it's kind of like when we did the the podcast a week ago with Matt Seifert. He kind of shuts his brain off to all muskies during the winter. When the season's not on, he just shifts gears and kind of goes a different direction for a while. So I get that. You know what I mean? Um, being in the business that both yourself and I are in, it's kind of tough to do that. And I guess uh, talking about muskies can kind of just get your juices flowing and, and keep you motivated for uh, the upcoming season. Yep. So if you didn't listen all the way through last week's episode, as of right now on this Wednesday when this episode comes out, I'm technically not even here, Brad. I'm a, I'm in Florida. We're not shipping any lures this week. We left a couple days ago. This is, you know, all pre-recorded. We had to kind of, put, kind of had to play it a little bit here so we could get, you know, stay on our regular release schedule. So... If you're if you placed an order with us recently and you're wondering why it hasn't shipped yet, that's because I'm not here. I'm gone. Like Brad's here talking to Phantom Jeff. That's it. So uh, I'll return in a couple of days and then we'll resume our normal shipping. I apologize for any inconvenience. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to or we did. When you're listening to this, we're off on a uh, family vacation for the first time in my family's lifetime <laughs> and for the first time in 20 years. I think I'll have taken a week's vacation. So that's where I'm at. That's kind of what's going on. We're a little early on this one, Brad, but it's good to be ahead sometimes. Yeah, that's definitely a good place to be, Jeff, especially when uh, you have things going on. So, no, it worked out good. So I don't have a whole lot to add to this. If you're looking for gear for musky fishing, go check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. If you want something from Musky Mayhem Tackle, you can go visit MuskyMayhemTackle.com. I know Brad's been doing some YouTube stuff. I've been doing some YouTube stuff. I'm anxiously awaiting Brad's Mayhem 10,000 casts on KOTV, and hopefully that's going to be on YouTube as well, Brad. Yeah, I believe it will at some point, Jeff. I don't know exactly when we'll share it there, but uh, it'll definitely be available on KOTV the first Saturday in February, and uh, we'll go from there. And then shortly after we return for next week's episode, after you hear this one, I'll be back. We'll put out a new episode i still got to try to figure that out it'll probably be short notice again but anyways um we're, we're going to be looking at the milwaukee Muskie expo right around the corner yeah it's getting close jeff and it's probably time for me to shift gears and start repacking from the chicago show that's for sure yeah it's amazing you go oh we got five weeks or four weeks or whatever we got a month between shows no big deal and then how quickly a month goes flying by i mean quite honestly it's going to be show season's going to be over before we even know it yeah, it's, this winter's going quick. I think uh, every year it seems to go quicker and quicker, that's for sure. But uh, this show season, you know, we got the first one out of the way. The second one's coming up here shortly. It'll blow right by us, that's for sure. So anyways, we're going to go dial up our conversation with Steve Jonasy. I'm going to continue on my vacation, and uh, we'll catch everybody with a new episode again next week. Hopefully you enjoy this week's episode with Steve Jonasy, Jonasy Fishing. All right, our guest today is Steve Jonasy. Steve Jonasy fishing, and Steve's primarily fishing out of Iowa. And Steve, you know, nowadays you might not necessarily be a household name because, you know, you're out of the game for a little while, and now you're starting to get back into the musky game, starting to, you know, fire up the guide service again. So why don't we, first off, thanks for coming out and talking to us today. And secondly, why don't you kind of go over your you know, your history of everything you've done, and not everything, and that's going to take us too long, but you know, a brief history of you know what got you to here, what got you into muskie fishing. 
you know, I was uh, I was blessed. I grew up in in Chicago, north side of Chicago. Grandparents stayed at a resort in northern Wisconsin. They ended up buying a place across the lake uh, in the seventies. So my brother and I, we grew up fishing those lakes up there. Uh, they were on in Lang Lake County, you know. And honestly, my brother and I would go to the tavern with my grandpa, and we would see these guys bring in these fish. And then we saw, you know, back then they had some of the sports shops that had fish box where guys would bring their muskies in and they'd be in the box. So it was, you know, the mystique of the muskie since I was little, little. You know, I released my first Wisconsin legal 31-incher back in September 25th of 77. You know, my dad, my Uncle Tony had caught a few muskies prior. Uh, I was just, I was hooked. As I got older, kind of derailed a little bit college uh, with athletics. After, uh, well, I got married, had kids, I was divorced. I moved to uh, Minneapolis, got a job at Thorn Brothers. You know, had really, I'd been taking people fishing my entire life. Working at Thorn Brothers and the relationships developed there and, and the connections. I started a guide service, primarily fishing the last. You know, and with the help of some guys up there, good Lord, uh, Hammernick, for sure. Uh, Greg Thomas was big early. I learned a bunch uh, and was, again, blessed with clients caught some incredible fish. So that's kind of my history. I uh, have been in the sporting goods industry in some capacity over 20 years. Open gander stores, open shield stores, uh, worked at Thorns, worked at uh, shop in northern Wisconsin, Kurt Island Sports. You know, I've, I've kind of been all over. The COVID last year, 20, well, in 20, I lost my job. The position was eliminated due to the virus. You know, the business uh, almost went under. But I decided uh, that I was going to get back in uh, into guiding, do something that I love and something that I know. So that's a little bit of kind of about me and kind of how we got to where we're at right now. So if somebody's looking to get in touch with your guide service, Steve, how do they go about doing that? You know, I'm on Facebook, Facebook Messenger. You know, I've got, well, cell phones, 319-550-4272. com is in the works. Hopefully we'll be up and running within a week or so. Steve.Jonasie at yahoo.com shoot me an email i would love to uh, love to chat kind of funny steve not to make you sound old but you caught your first muskie on september 25th in 1977 i was about six months old <laughs> no kidding <laughs> you know it's fun i literally i still have the bait the rod and the reel the rod was a fenwick lunker stick old brown uh, fiberglass rod uh five foot three lunker stick with a Cardinal 4, Zepco Cardinal 4 spinning rail, 12-pound blue strand, and a Sampo swivel. Oh, and a 7-inch perch uh, suet. It's always got to be the suet. That was in 1977. That was probably the most popular bait around. But that was it. Well, and I was throwing the 7-incher because Dad, he threw the 9-incher on the musky rod. Yeah, that bait, uh, that bait caught a couple fish that weekend. Have you upgraded your equipment since then, Steve? You know, a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of funny, and that uh, changes in the industry over the years, uh, not just bait-wise, you know, and we can get into some baits, too, but the gear, the reels, the gear ratios on reels, the length of rods. You know, I could have five, six rods in the boat, and, you know, conceivably, I could probably do everything with one or two. Why do I have five or six? just like a bass or a walleye guy muskies have gotten technique specific you know i remember that first trip to lake of the woods with double cowgirl and i was throwing them on an old eight foot sage bucktail rod double tent <laughs> not even close i mean i caught fish i was fishing third in the boat and i was crushed yeah these guys are like that musky crap but the rod the rod was a Total wrong rod for that bait at the time compared to what we throw now. You know, but jerk baits, glide baits, everything's gotten real technique specific and longer. You know, and the longer rod, 
that's huge. I mean, manipulation of baits, figure eights, cast this, you know, length, cast distance, you know, a lot of factors. Well, the amazing part with that whole topic, I mean, we could go into that forever, but equipment just continues to change. I mean, yearly, you keep seeing different stuff, you know, and it's truly remarkable. I think musky anglers are finally being noticed with the, uh, the companies that are designing and building some of this equipment. Oh, yeah. They take musky, musky anglers, you know, back. And a lot more musky-specific uh, tackle these days. But, boy, there's still some standards. At 500 tranks, the stuff to beat. That one's tough to beat. Higher low gear ratio. Are you even able to find a tranks 500 these days? I heard they're, I don't know, like a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah, they're the unicorn now. I don't even know if there are any available. You know, I haven't looked. Well, I guess I did at the Chicago show a little bit, but yeah, there was none there. But yeah, that reel's gotten super popular too. You know, and I think, you know, the growth of the sport too. You know, things aren't as easily acquired, you know, some of the equipment anyway. Well, it's, you know, it's funny, like, listening to you guys talk, and I say you guys because Brad's definitely more experienced musky angler than myself, and, like, for me, one of the biggest advancements that we've seen is probably just the length of the rods. That's, I mean, obviously, there's a whole pile of them, but just one of them, you know, when we're talking rod, reels, lines, leaders, there haven't been a lot of advancements in line and leaders, in my opinion, since I've started. Super braids were available, and that's, you know, the standard now. It's just... You know, when I started out, a seven-foot rod, you couldn't even, I don't even think you could buy anything bigger than eight-foot. So that's one of the biggest advancements I've seen, you know, in my short time chasing muskies. There was an article about ordering rods from Thorns back in college. You know, when I got a credit card, I was freaking dangerous. Because now I could order muskie gear and they could deliver it to my house. Uh-oh. Yeah. That was the 80s. That was bad. Uh, but there was an article in In Fisherman, I believe, Doug Stangy did it. It was back in 82, 82 or 84, might've been 84, talking about custom rods. And this, it was basically an article about thorn rods. So that's when my dad started ordering thorn rods. You know, and I found upon it over the years, all the rods between Thorn Brothers and Cranky Bottleri, who makes some of my rods now, the length has just continuously gotten longer and longer and longer. But I think I've reached my pinnacle. You know, I think uh, ten. I'm, I threw a ten footer for the first time this year, and yeah, yeah, that's enough for this guy. You know, most I've thrown are nine and a half. You know, some of the little stuff. You know, a little shorter maybe, but yeah, that ten footer is great rod. It was awesome, incredible blade rod, really nice rubber rod too. But boy, that length. So Steve, you know, people would probably, if you've, if you've been musky fishing for, I don't know, I would say like 15 years, people would probably remember your name from a very large musky that you guided on Mille Lacs. You want to talk a little bit about that story? Cause I mean, it yeah. still may have been a state record potentially. I mean, obviously I know Minnesota just set one, but you guys just released it. So there's no basis to go off of all you know is just it was a mammoth muskie and so why don't you talk a little bit it about was, that fish yeah and there's why there's just monsters that are caught out there every year but this was night of the full moon with october 6th about six and it was an overcast kind of windy day and it was, but the wind was from the south and we fished all day we hadn't seen up at nothing all day and it was probably 7, 7.30. We're literally on the last spot of the day after fishing, you know, 12, 14 hours. It's dark. And I was running a, a Ranger 620 tiller at the time. And because the wind's coming from the south, the spot we were fishing on the south end of the lake, throw it out there, Shaw's Reef. If she's still swimming, go catch her, man. But I was on the tiller. And clients, Jody Doms, who caught the fish, he was uh, in the middle of the boat. And all of a sudden, we were toward the end of the reef. And I saw the rod double open. And I knew we were off the edge. So I knew it had to be a fish. And he was throwing a bucktail that I had tied up in my living room. 
the week before. And basically, it was a jointed double pen with not living rubber. It had star flash silicone skirts. It had four skirts, but it made it with hollow beads in as little weight as we could get away with, just to work it slow over the top of the reefs. And uh, that's what the fish ate. Uh, but we got the fish in the net, had no idea the depth of the fish, but we got it in the net. Fish came around the back, scooped it, put a light on it. You know, think she's 50? Oh, yeah, she's 50. Well, I grabbed the fish, got the hooks out. Well, when I turned the fish on its side, I just, I let go. I'm like, we've got to get a girth measurement on this. This thing is way bigger than anything, you know, I've handled. So I literally, I, I didn't have a tape measure in the boat. I cut line twice. First time I cut line, it didn't go around the fish. The second time I cut line, it went around the fish. I cut 20. Uh, but we put it on, after measuring the fish at 54 inches long, put the, uh, the line around the belly and got a 30-inch girth. <laughs> My girlfriend at the time, it contacted one of the resorts really close to there. They had a spring scale, an old rusty spring scale. We actually put that fish on that scale, bounced between 52 and 54 pounds. There was no way we were keeping the fish anyway. So literally, I was up to my past my knees in the water with the fish. And, uh, and that fish swam away swam away strong right in sunset bay that was an incredible incredible night incredible part too about that steve is uh the notoriety that you gained from that fish it definitely helped your career as far as guiding and everything too absolutely that one fish literally put my career on the map and that day (laughs) that i talked to my dad and his buddy had called him to tell him that his kid was an in fisherman, I'll remember that as long as I live. That day, yeah, saw your son an in fisherman. What? And for my dad, I mean, that was my dad was hardcore, hardcore fisherman. And of course, he got my brother and I into muskies, and then he got into bass. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really cool. Uh, and the sports shows. I mean, Rick Lax, I'm literally, I'm sitting down in our, our basement right now, and I'm looking at a mount of that fish. i got to figure out how to put that thing on the wall in this new room area that we have. But, yeah, Rick Lax did an incredible job on that mount, on that replica. You know, that February, I don't think I had an actual birthday. I was born on the 29th, so I only get one every four years. But it was the Minnesota show. And my birthday was on a Friday, started the show, and I walked into my booth after checking in the hotel or whatever, and uh, there's this monster replica in my booth, Rick Black, happy birthday, man. You know, those type of relationships from a fish, you know, amazing. Yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, looking at that fish now, wow, that thing was incredible. That lake definitely has provided many people's dreams, that's for sure. And, you know, it, you know it's it, so amazing how many big fish. I mean, it's mind-boggling, honestly. Yeah, you know, and, and truly of every species, every species in that lake, there are, you know, world-class specimens of, you know, be it perch, walleye, smallmouth, I mean, I saw, I saw two smallmouth follow. One was in Vineland, one was in Isle. And they were two separate Junes. We were fishing gliders, you know, in the new weeds. And these smallmouth, they followed. And I actually thought they were carp at first because they were so big. Never seen a smallmouth that big in my life. You know, people ask, how big? I'm like, oh, mid-20s, easy. 25 inches plus, you know, big as a big around as a football. Yeah. Just crazy. Amazing. Lake. yeah, 
you know, was truly blessed to have been on there, you know, those years, you know, and witnessed that. Are you still doing some traveling with your fishing as well, Steve? Are you guiding anywhere else besides Iowa? Or no, what, what? You know, haven't decided. You know, I'm looking at some, some stuff in Minnesota. Spent a little time up in, in some different areas. You know, haven't decided. I need to talk to a few people before I, you know, start running trips in, in different areas. Because truly, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. You know, that's, that's important to me. You know, and the relationships that you have with your peers, you know, that's, that's what makes it go. That helps a ton. So I do want to get back to Minnesota and spend some time in Minnesota because here's, here's part of, part of the reasoning, you know, in Iowa, we're, we're done fishing muskies probably in a typical year, typically by mid June, you know, we may get a few days here, there with some rains and cooler water, but typically we're hitting 80 degrees in June and we're not getting back on the water till September. You know, and that's, again, a typical year. So to have some opportunity north, you know, would be fantastic, again. But I'm not moving north. We kind of have a life down here in Iowa. So to be able to, to spend a couple months up there, you know, find maybe a little piece of dirt, and, and that would be, that'd be a dream again. So we'll see what happens in the next year, too. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. You know, the fishing here in Iowa, you know, to get back to that a little bit, um, you know, we've got ice out, you know, where we are, you know, eastern half of the state, we don't have a closed season. So we typically have ice out mid-March, pre-spawn, you know, pre-spawn bite goes for, you know, can go for several weeks, depending on the spring. But then, like I said, you know, we're done by the end of June, start up again in September, but we'll go today or this year. I'm sorry. Our last day was uh, Christmas Eve. You know, the lake froze up Christmas night. So, yeah, I tried to go, Buddy and his son tried to go uh, 26th and it was lock up. You know, there's some opportunities early and late, you know, down here in Iowa. Let's dive into that a little bit more, Steve. I mean... Your, your guide service, uh, you're basically putting everything into uh, one basket down there being in Iowa. What's your uh, typical season look like and, and when you get started? You know, typically we're getting started on a pre-spawn bite, you know, middle of uh, March, middle end of March. I always, uh, St. Patty's Day has always been, you know, the, the measure for ice out. But uh, we'll get, you know, a couple... Oh, geez. Probably, eh, depending. You know, it might be a month and a half pre-spawn, depending on the water temp. And the pre-spawn bite, it's not a fast and furious bite, but it can be a lot of fun, and there's some really big fish can be caught. Uh, and we're not talking 55-inch fish. You know, our fish are a little different down here. They grow fast. They grow thick. Multiple lakes that, that we're fishing, there's different forage baits. Some are shad, some are white bass, more sucker. So, yeah, and the fish are at their heaviest of the year, you know, pre-spawn. The lakes down here are supplemented, you know, by stocking. Uh, and we've been blessed here in, in eastern Iowa. Our local biologist, he is uh, very musky friendly. He worked to get signs put up. You know, length limits, we're working on that. But one of the lakes locally gets 400 every other year, uh, and they're stocking 12 to 14 inches. Uh, the other lake gets about 900 every other year. So what the state typically does, uh, they're doing about a fish per acre. They consider, the state considers a 40-inch fish a trophy right now, uh, which, don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful fish. We're going to work, you know, do some work to get that, uh, try to get that increased, you know, just through awareness and education. Is that statewide? That is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I wasn't sure when you get over to Western Iowa, what uh, the minimum requirement is, but 
you know, as musky fishermen, none of us <laughs> harvest them anyway, but, uh, it's it's kind of there for the protection of those people that maybe have never seen a muskie or they put one in the boat and they, they think that, hey, I'm taking this home and there's no reason to, you know? Right. Right. And that's where the education piece comes in. Uh, and that's been one thing, you know, over the years, especially, you know, with Facebook. But prior to that, you know, the message boards and that, not hammering on people, you know, trying to educate them on catch and release, not coming off, you know, with this holier than thou attitude, but education, you know, that you can release that fish. Somebody else can catch that fish. I mean, we've caught the same fish in the same day, you know, crazy. You know, that was down here in Iowa. Yeah. I mean, there was no doubt it was the same fish, but to give somebody else that thrill, and still, with the replicas available, oh, man, you know, those things are better than the real thing. Some of the pictures that, that, that people do now and continue to well, preserve the memory, I got. We're moving along a little bit. So, Steve, one thing I got a question on. So, like, if you if you hear, you know, southern musky bites, you know, you talk about, like, Kincaid and, we'll say, Cave Run and even, like, the Ohio Lakes. You always hear about, like, a rattle trap bite in the spring. Is that something that takes place in Iowa, or is or is that just not a thing there? Because I I often you know, wonder if like we tried that type of tactic up here in in the north. When I say north, I mean like northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota. If any of that would work, but from what I understand is, you know, it's more of a pre-spawn type of a thing, and we don't typically always get to fish pre-spawn muskies. So why don't you talk a little bit about early season tactics? I guess. You know, early season for us, I never done well, you know, early, you know, pre-spawn on the rattle traps or, you know, smaller cranks. A little later, you know, post-spawn, you know, fishing a little faster. We have pre-spawn, I'm a glider guy, you know, and it's uh, a glider, maybe some diving rise as well, but it did the key for me, is being able to work them slow, erratic, slow, and hang time. Hit all three of those in, you know, in a retreat. You know, a couple pops might be quicker, but then that thing is going to hang. So there's the pause. I like that kind of fishing, too. You know, it's a visual thing a lot of times. You know, on some of the lakes we're fishing early in the season, the water's clear. Um, so you can see them, A, see them coming from a ways, and, and just seeing those fish eat those things and how they eat them, it's pretty cool. It really is. You know, rubber baits, you know, catch fish on rubber baits early too, but it's more baits with hang. You know, that's, that's the thing. And I, uh, I don't know. You know, why they don't, maybe we haven't just given it enough time. I've, have, I've given it some time and just haven't really done anything on the trash this year. <laughs> this will be the year. <laughs> that's, that's what we always say, isn't it? Sometimes we get stuck in a, stuck in a rut. You know, and some of the, the, the lakes that we're fishing, I mean, they're, you know, there's some different characteristics, you know, but year in, year out, it's that, you know, small glider, work erratic, work with some hang. You know, that's the one that's triggering fish. Maybe a little self-fulfilling prophecy should be. But I'm kind of like, I'm kind of a leaving the dance, you know, I'm leaving the dance with who brought me kind of guy. You know, it's worked before. It works now. It'll work then. Kind of my thinking. Try not to get into ruts, but I'm still leaving the dance with who brought me. <laughs> Last week, I had a conversation with Matt Seifert. We talked about open water muskies. Let me just get your take on this. So I would say 10, 15 years ago, you'd see articles written about how open water muskies were the next frontier of muskie fishing. And nowadays, I sometimes wonder if open water muskies don't receive quite a bit of pressure. Is that still untapped muskie fishing in your area or is, or do they get as much pressure yeah. as weed line fish? You know, it's still untapped. You know, it's hard for 
And I think on some of the lakes in Wisconsin, it is Minnesota. You know, it's it's kind of different. Certain patterns, you know, I know those patterns, some of the patterns on the lakes in, in June, the open water pattern, the bait fish move out, the muskies move out with them. You know, we're, we were catching fish down here on pounders and big rubber, you know, fishing bait fish schools over open water. I'm like, well, I wonder, let me, let me try this bondy bait. Well, I wasn't jigging 15 minutes and got a 38 inch. Jigged another 20 minutes, got a 45 inch. And this was several years ago. Well, that year caught like 21 fish on bondies over open water. Like nobody else was out there even chucking bait. And there's two of us in the boat. One's chucking rubber. The other's jigging rubber. You know, so yeah, open water is, I think it's, you know, it's tough for people to turn their back on the weed edge. I say one thing that is definitely changing the game is the electronics for open water fishing. There's no more needle in a haystack. You know, when I was fishing the last, and we had the map chips. Huh. That was that was incredible. I mean, I could be on three mile at two a.m. and pitch black, dark out. Yeah, that was amazing. The great equalizer, I called them. I'm like, you could never have been on that lake before, and you could get right on that spot at two a.m. if you wanted. But with electronics today, it's uh. I think that's where the game is really changing. Yeah, side imaging, you know, live imaging, you know, and I honestly, I've dabbled in side imaging a little bit, but I'm learning more and more about it and the application to what I'm doing. You know, everybody's got, there's a lot of opinions about it, but it helps. And I think it can definitely help that open water game too. You know, the whole open water thing, I think, there's been a few changes in the last couple of years. And I, I think one of the biggest changes that I've noticed myself is how many more people are actually casting the open water versus trolling it. You know, I mean, trolling was such a, an easy way to cover that basin and uh, do it efficiently. But it's amazing how so many younger anglers, especially, have jumped out and just started actually pounding and casting that same exact water that we've been trolling for years. And, you know, I mean, you think about that, you're, uh, I say trolling is more efficient, but at the same time, you know, if you're casting a particular area where there is fish held up, it doesn't take you as long to, to get on those fish as if you drove by them trolling and now you got to turn your boat and go back over them again. You know, and the electronics are a big key to that whole success too. I mean, with, uh, with site imaging, you can locate some of those fish, do some trolling over them, find them, mark them, and go back and cast on them. It's pretty remarkable. It really, truly is. So, I mean, that's that's what Steve's talking about, really. Using those tools that, that are at your disposal, or at guys are using them at, that are at your disposal, between the side imaging and the casting now, the efficiency is amazing. I mean, super, super efficient. You think about that open water, I mean, the guys are casting, even the guys that aren't casting the specific fish. And when you got three guys casting in a boat, they're using big baits. Over the years of my open water trolling, it's something that I truly enjoy. Um, I think it's a great tool for people that can't cast all day, or maybe the youth as well. And um, it's just fun. You're running big, giant crankbaits. Uh, it's something that I think is super cool. And there's a ton to learn, you know, I mean, absolutely. Steve, you know, what's your percentage of time casting versus trolling on your particular bodies of water? You know, it's probably 70, 30 right now. You know, as the water gets colder later, late, late fall, you know, 40 degrees, 40 degrees and below. I mean, we're trolling, trolling or jigging exclusively i don't want to say exclusively there may be some casting here and there on a day you know i always said i was 288 feet of troll uh i caught a fish here a fish there never really put time into trolling looking at it as another tool 
Uh, and the more I did the last several years, the more fish it caught. And, you know, but I do, I like trolling. You know, like Brad was saying, it's relaxing. And for people that can't, you know, chuck all day, you know, you still, it's a super efficient way of catching fish. I still love to catch them on the figure eight. You know, can't catch them on the figure eight trolling. But there's a lot of, lot of positives to trolling. And not just time of the year. You know, down here, I know in the last oh, couple of years, we've been trolling big blades. And it's kind of funny. You don't hear about that on shad water at a two-ounce weight. A uh, little cannonball to the leader, three-foot leader, you know, and just cruise at four and a half miles an hour. And with that spread, I mean, it's at a lake full of shad, it kind of commands uh, attention. One of the cool things about Iowa as well is that you guys can run two lines per person, but you can also buy an additional third line. Is that correct? You got it. You know, and I haven't gotten to the point. I mean, my boat's rigged for six rods. Um, you know, getting more than that on the size of the body of water, you know, too, you know, being able to make turns and, you know, and fish the contours that you want to fish. I'm learning every year, you know, this year was the short line year. I shortened my lines up, you know, and caught more fish. Maybe that was situational, but yeah, trolling for me is a, an ever learning experience. I'd rather cast, but got to keep all tools available at your disposal. It's funny that you say that because that's what I've been saying for years and years and years. I have friends of mine that refuse to troll. And I just tell them Uh all the time, I said, if you you do that, you eliminate a possible technique that could definitely work to your advantage in certain situations. Well, and, you know, just fishing in general. You know, I've heard guys over the years, I don't fish anything but muskies. I'm like, that's cool, but I've learned an awful lot of bass fishing. I've learned an awful lot of trout fishing. You know, fishing different species, even in the same bodies of water that I'm fishing must. You know, I can learn about the structures and the lakes and the biomass and all sorts of stuff. Constant learning. You know, if I go out fishing in a day and I don't learn something, good, bad, and different, I wasted it. I wasted a day. Got to learn something. So, Steve, you know, throughout Iowa, I know you have a bunch of different bait fish in different bodies of water. I know some are shad-based. I don't know if you have Cisco's in any of your bodies of water in Iowa. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the the bait fish scenario down in Iowa? You know, uh, unfortunately, we don't have Cisco down here. But the shad, they're, they're a nice one to play second fiddle to the Cisco. Just because they're a, a an oily, fatty forage, uh, like Cisco, uh, they're a cheeseburger. You know, you get fat. It helps them grow faster. You know, and thicker. But the different we've got. You know, some of the lakes have a shad base. Clear Lake, for example, uh, yellow bass. One of the few lakes I've known with a yellow bass as one of the main forage. Um, you know, these lakes all have walleyes. The fish, they're still going to eat walleyes. Some of the lakes have perch. Northwest Iowa, strong perch. And then some of the lakes here in eastern Iowa have uh, a really strong perch uh, population. Uh, another one down here, uh, the white bass. Several of the lakes that we fish have white bass. Uh, and the DNR is stock uh, hybrid white bass wipers. Some of those beasts will get up into the low teens, pounds-wise. Absolute incredible fighters. I caught uh, a couple myself uh, in the mid-25-inch range, and they had a 9.6 musky rod doubled over. Uh, 1.8 this year, and I didn't put it on the bump board. I should have. It's probably the biggest I've ever caught. Uh, It ate a 10-inch Crisco Fire Tiger Crisco by the head. It head hunted this 10 inch crankbait on a windblown shoreline. And when that rod doubled over, I thought I had a 30 pounder. That thing stayed down, stayed down. So the muskies are eating some of those too, <laughs> or trying to. 
So that's, you know, there's varying uh, forage base. You know, in some of the lakes, the, uh, the biomass is really heavy. In some situations, there's a buffet. You have to differentiate or get your bait in front of that fish's face. So there can be some challenging days. We had a day this fall. We were casting. There were three of us in the boat casting. I had a father and son out. Uh, we had three different styles of bait. And where we were casting, we were bringing in shad on our books every cast. I actually had to move the boat because we couldn't get a clean cast in. Literally shaking them off your bait at boat side like you're shaking off wheat. Yeah, tough to get a, a bait in edgewise. But, you know, for the forage, the gross fat fish, you know, there's no mistake in it. Shad would be my favorite. If I had a choice, a southern bait fish delicacy, shad. Do you find yourself downsizing your bait selection then, uh, be, just based upon the forage size that you're actually uh, dealing with throughout those bodies of water? You know, it's ironically, that's a great question. You would think on, like we were talking about some of the lakes out east, the shad-based lakes, using traps and that, uh, and down south. I use big baits. We use big baits. There's big shad in the lake. Some of the shad are 12, 15, 17 inches long. They're not the little, you know, three to five inch thread thin or gizzard shad that you're you know, seeing in a lot of places, there are those too. There's massive schools of those, uh, but there's a lot of bigger bait fish. And, and my, my thinking on those lakes, I'm using brighter baits. I'm using bigger baits. I want to unmatch the hatch. I don't want, you know, certain times of the year, I'll use natural looking patterns, but a lot of time there's going to be a splash of color in there, some contrast, just to kind of stand apart from the, the buffet, you know, of shad and, and the like. That's the phrase of the day, unmatch the hatch. It's definitely not something that you hear too often. It seems like the uh, match the hatch was always the phrase of the day. Oh, and we want baits. I mean, with with some of the paint jobs today, I mean, they look so realistic. That thing looks alive. And they look great, and I'm sure they catch fish. But I don't want it looking like everything else. You know, there's, uh, I could throw, you know, different parts of the retrieve, bury in the retrieve in that, you know, to make it look different as well. Stand out from the crowd. I typically will... Uh you know, kind of stand out in the crowd a little bit too. Like the spring thing, everybody says downsize, downsize. And, and that's when I usually go big. And I, I guess I use big baits pretty much year round, but I've never believed really in that downsizing for spring. And, uh, I think I've caught a few fish in the spring. So it, uh, I don't know. I like to be a little bit different. I, I can understand what you're talking about. That that's, uh, Here's a- you do want to stand out. Here's a story for you. This goes to the, what you were saying, Brad, with the big bait thing. So I catch that my first legal muskie in Wisconsin in the fall of 77. That winter, I get a real muskie rod, a head and pal, Garcia 5,000, 25-pound strand. Now I'm ready to go. Still no wire leader, sample, ball bearing, swivel. So we go to the Pelican Lake store that morning and this is opening weekend of fishing season and back then they didn't differentiate between north and south so up north you could still fish muskies so i begged my grandpa to give me this big teddy bait and it's the nine inch teddy bait it's the big one so i get back i tie the thing on i'm casting off the neighbor's dock fish eats this thing i'm screaming mind you this is 78. I was born in 68, so I'm 10. I'm at the end of the dock screaming for somebody to come out. This fish, big fish, is thrashing at the end of the dock. Rod's doubled over. Next thing you know, rear hook pulls out of the bait. Bait comes flying back, hits me right between the eyes. 
10-year-old kid's got a goose egg on his face, goes crying to the house about this big muskie that uh, just got away. <laughs> Amazing, I didn't lose an eye. But that was that was the first weekend in May. You know, that was a big bait. Moving slow. They'll still eat it. And my theory on the uh, small bait springtime tank, part of my theory on that, most of the written word, early written word, on the springtime and muskies was written by guides from northern Wisconsin who were fishing walleye with clients and catching muskies fishing walleye. That's how that, I think, part of that took hold. But yeah, I big baits in the springtime for sure. Just work them slower. I think some of it is also just the, the simple fact that if they can get a hold of something bigger, a little bigger meal, why wouldn't they do that versus the small meal of, you know, 10 versus oh, one? Yeah, I don't want to expend the energy. And that, that fish, and there were some, you know, uh, down by us last year, some nice fish early, you know, that are caught on number five shad rats or number seven shad rats. But that bait went right by that fish's face. That fish in that cold water is not chasing that bait down. No way. You know, 40, low 40 degree water. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm convinced they happen, those incidental catches, but they're not the norm. So, Steve, before we let you go, let's uh, talk about, you know, your favorite time frame to be fishing in Iowa. If you have to pick one month, which one is it? Boy, if I had to pick one month, give me two, May and October. Okay, I'll give you two. Uh You know, May, and the reason May, post-spawn, everything is fair game. Fish are eating bucktails, topwater, minnow baits, rubber. Digging, they're eating that anything and everything. Uh, and October, October's a bucktail bite. I tell you, it is some of the, the most fun fishing I've had. Literally, we're throwing not patronized bread or anything, but we're throwing cowgirls uh, up in six to eight inches of water and cruising them back. And these fish are eating them within five, ten, you know, cranks. And they got nowhere else to go but up. You know, so you're getting, you know, a bunch of action in shallow water. And some really nice fish, too, which is a blast. So, yeah, fishing can be fast and furious. But then again, it's musky fishing. It can be slow and low, too. But those would be the two months, May and October, down here. It's not a whole lot different than us. I think I would probably choose... If I could only pick yeah. one month, it's going to be September. If I had to pick two months, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what my second month would be. Brad, which two months would you pick for a year in Minnesota? So if I had to pick two months, you know, throughout the season, number one would be September, Jeff. And I, I think the the crazy part is, is if you think about it, you know, Steve's down in Iowa. He says October. Well, you know, he's probably I'm going to guess eight to ten hours away from my house here south so if you think about it october in iowa is probably more like september here in minnesota or wisconsin yep but you know september is such a cool crazy uh month of the year just based upon we're starting to see some of that cool down and it usually pushes fish shallow and that makes it special in my mind if i was going to pick another month you know that september's number one the second month would probably be june and I think some of it is because we get back out on the water. I truly do enjoy that open water bite. And uh, there's some certain years where some of those fish are really ultra shallow at that time too. So there's a bunch of different options in the month of June. So that would be my number two. You know what? I think you nailed it too with the, the latitude, you know, latitude, longitude thing down south here compared to up north. It's that that first movement, you know, shallow. I, I guess I've, I've always said some of the fish, you only get a chance to see them in June and September up north. When they, you know, if they vacate, they go to open water in June at some point or 
you know, September, they're moving back up into the shallows, you know, and that water's cooling. Yeah. Yeah. If I was up north, that's it, man. <laughs> For sure. So, Brad, I got to figure it out. We're going to fish our normal waters in September. We're going to shoot down to Iowa in October. We can have two months of that shallow <laughs> water bite. That's not a I dumb don't. idea, actually. Even when you think about it. And I'm sure there's probably some guys that do take advantage of that. You know, October can be kind of a weird month, that's for sure. And up in the Northland, anyway. I mean, don't get me wrong. October is a great month. But so many different things can happen with weather in the month of October. Sure. Well, Steve, I just want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to talk muskies with us. If somebody's looking to explore Iowa and book a trip with you, how do they go about doing that again? You know, best way to get a hold of me, give me a call, 319-550-4272. Get a hold of me on Facebook, Facebook Messenger, or email, steve.jonasy at yahoo.com. Steve, are you at any more shows yet this this uh, winter or not? Yeah, I am doing, uh, I'm doing the Milwaukee show. I'm going to do the Wausau show. And I, I think I'm going to do the Minnesota show. I need to give Paul Hartman a call. Okay. So we'll see you at a few more shows yet this winter then. Oh, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you guys for the opportunity to chat muskies on a, on a cold January, snowy January night. Yeah. Well, you probably got more snow than we do. Well, up here in northern Wisconsin, it's not even that bad yet. Oh, geez. We got, uh, well, we got about six inches yesterday. Okay. Yeah. And at 54, I finally bought a snowblower. <laughs> I used it for the first time yesterday. Rock on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm done shoveling. After, uh, yeah, 54 years old, I'm going to die in the driveway shoveling snow now. Right. Exactly. No. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> Well, thanks again for everybody taking time out of their schedules to listen to our podcast, and we'll catch everybody with a new episode again next week. Sounds good. Thanks again. Yep. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.